The Sunday School lesson that you're about to listen to can be found at newfoundfaith.org. Be sure to take a moment to go there and subscribe for email notifications so that you can never miss a lesson. Lessons are shared every Sunday at 1045 a.m. Eastern. This week's Sunday School lesson, lesson number two in the winter quarter, God's Promise to David. This week's lesson has been taught from the seventh chapter of 2 Samuel, starting at the fourth verse and going through the 16th verse. Be sure to pause the audio now so that you can read over the scripture for today's lesson. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to share this week's lesson with someone, somewhere. lesson this week is the second lesson within the winter quarter. It is also the second lesson within the first unit of lessons, which again has been titled Blessing of a Savior. We are looking at uh, the birth of Christ. We're making our way to Christmas. We are making our way to the birth of Christ. And in our first lesson of this quarter, we looked at the Messiah's forerunner. We we saw where John the Baptist was being spoken of, his birth was being spoken of to, to Zacharias, which again leads us to Christ because John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ. Uh, he, he preached to the world that Christ was coming. It was time for them to get ready uh, for Christ because Christ would be on the way. Here in our Sunday school lesson this week, we see we're going to see where the Lord uh, is going to be speaking of Christ uh, to David himself. So we're going all the way back to Old Testament scripture to where we're again going to see uh, the birth of Christ essentially being spoken of uh, to David here in our Sunday school lesson this week. Our lesson, it opens up here today in the fourth verse uh, of Second Samuel by saying, but it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Nathan, I want you to know right away is a prophet. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying there in the fifth verse, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? Is what God asked, uh, is going to be asking David there uh, in, uh, to, to, uh, from Nathan there here in our Sunday school lesson this week. By this point in time, I, I do want you to understand by this point in time that David uh, was king of Israel. He had already been anointed to be king. He had become king of Israel. You see, Saul, he had been killed in battle uh, by this point in time in scripture. Um, something that, that I want to also point out uh, to all of you is that David was riding high uh, in this passage of scripture. Uh, he was enjoying the, the fruit of his labor. He was enjoying the blessing that the Lord had poured out onto him. Uh, he had defeated the Philistines, the Philistines, the, the children of Israel. They no longer had to worry about the Philistines by this point in time. He uh, had just defeated them. Uh, by this point in time, uh, David was residing in Jerusalem. OK, uh, they the, the Israel, they had conquered uh, Jerusalem. They had taken Jerusalem. Uh, he had the city of David known as Bethlehem uh, as well. Uh, and the 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 kingdom. It was a united kingdom. You often hear me speak about uh, the divided kingdom years, but the divided kingdom years, they came after Solomon. 
which means that they came after David. So all of Israel was united. I mean, it was a really good time uh, for Israel uh, by this point in time in scripture. David was reigning over a united kingdom, a successful, may I say, a blessed uh, united kingdom. So if if you look at the first few verses here, because our lesson, it opens up here in the fourth verse. If you look at the, the first few verses of our lesson, you see David was essentially uh, laying in his home and he was thinking of what he could do for God. He wanted to do something for God because, again, he was enjoying the blessings of God. And, and David, he, he realized that he himself uh, was was in, in a house. He had a home, okay? And he had this grand desire to where he wanted to build a, a house for the Lord, okay? As king, you have to understand, David, he was living really good, right? Okay, just think of how a king would live. That's how David uh, was living. But David, again, he didn't think of himself as a god, uh, he was a man who was of great faith and and he thought of the Lord and he thought that, hey, the Ark of the Covenant that they had just retrieved, OK, and they had brought into the city of Jerusalem. It was still in the tabernacle, the tabernacle, <laughs> that same tabernacle that we studied about uh, in our Sunday school lessons last quarter. It was still around. And, and in David's mind, he was saying, well, I'm living in this fine house, this fine home, whereas the Ark of the Covenant is still in a tent. And so David, he had this grand desire to where he wanted to build a house for the Lord. And when when he spoke of this, when he shared this idea with Nathan, uh, Nathan had essentially said to him, hey, uh, do what you want to do. Nathan gave David his blessings. But what we see here in, in the fourth verse of our Sunday school lesson today is that essentially God didn't give Nathan that authority to do that. And, and, and God certainly did not instruct David to do that as well. And that's why the Lord appears to Nathan and, and he says to the prophet here, Go and tell my servant David, uh, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? Are, are you going to build something for me to dwell in? And, and he's asking that essentially in a way uh, uh, to say, hey, uh, do you think that I can stay in a house? <laughs> uh, if you again, uh, if you go over to and I reference this passage of scripture often, but if you go over to the 66th chapter of Isaiah and you look at the first two verses, the Lord speaks of the, the concept of, of him dwelling in a house. And, and, and in that 66th chapter of Isaiah, again, I'm talking about the first two verses that I'm about to read from here. You see that the Lord says that heaven is his throne and that earth is his footstool. That's how he thinks of, of, of earth. OK, he doesn't think of, of, of earth as his home. It's not his home. We have to remember earth was created for us. This and again, when we say earth there, we're not just talking about this physical planet of ours. OK, he's talking about this creation itself, the universe itself. We are we are tied to this physical domain right now. OK, God is not bound to this physical domain. God is beyond 
this physical domain. He looks on this physical domain. He observes this physical domain that is ours. So he says heaven is his throne. That's heaven is his home. And heaven, we know, is eternal. So he says heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? Is what he says there in the 66th chapter of Isaiah. And then again, he said there, he says, and where is the place of my rest for all the, those things my hand has made and all those things exist by his doing is what we'll see uh, the Lord essentially say there in that verse. God, again, we must understand God does not need a home, especially not a home that is made by our hands. Okay. Anything that we make by our hands it's something that God has created himself. God doesn't, he doesn't need a home that we can make for him. Heaven is his home. That's his dwelling place. And heaven is eternal. When, when you think about a home, you think about a, a place that is permanent. You know, unless you decide to move away from that home and, and go and move to another home. But home is, is a place where we go to each and every day, right? You know, if you if you have a job and you don't work from home, right, you go to your place of work and then at the end of the day, you return back home. Home is the place where you dwell in. That's where you eat. That's where you lay your head to to go to sleep. God, God is everywhere at all times. He doesn't need a home. He doesn't have to have a place to go and eat. God doesn't eat. He doesn't have to have a place to, to go and sleep. God doesn't sleep. Okay. So the idea of the Lord uh, needing a home, we could say that is a bit foolish, right? But David, his heart, I would say, is in the right place. He He has a grand desire to do something for God. And the reason why he has the grand desire to do something for God is because he was very grateful. Uh, he was very thankful for the blessings uh, that God had poured out onto him. That's why that's why David, he desired to build this home, uh, because he realized that he was in such a nice place, whereas the Ark of the Covenant, which a lot of people began to believe was uh, God's dwelling place at that time. The Ark of the Covenant, it was just in a temple, uh, not a temple. It was in the tabernacle, a tent, a mobile tent, by the way. OK, and it had been in that tent uh, for a long time. OK, going all the way back to the days of Moses. The, the Ark of the Covenant it had been stolen at one point in time uh, by the Philistines. But again, like I said, uh, with the defeat of the Philistines, the, the Philistines, they gave it. They were in a hurry, in fact, to give the Ark of the Covenant uh, back to Israel. And so it was back where it belonged. And uh, now it was in in a tabernacle. Uh, we'll see here in the sixth verse that, again, the Lord is speaking to the idea of of a house, of a home. He said there in the sixth verse, this is still God speaking there in the sixth verse, says, for I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Because again, uh, when, when you think of a house, 
uh, when you think of a home in that way, uh, it is permanent. It, it is stationary. It, it does not move. Uh, whereas, again, the sixth verse speaks of the tabernacle there. Now, you know, I've been speaking about the tabernacle. We have to remember uh, that the tabernacle, it was was mobile. Um, it, it went from place to place with the children of Israel as they as they moved in the wilderness. And the Lord says, I didn't stay stationary. I didn't stay in no stationary home. He says uh, there again, just there in the sixth verse says, I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in the tent and in the tabernacle. In actuality, uh, the Lord, his presence, it would fill the tabernacle again uh, in the time where where the priest would, would communicate uh, with the Lord or where Moses would communicate with the Lord. But uh, in actuality, we remember that God, he guided the children of Israel by day by a pillar of cloud and by night by a pillar of fire. But he also set the point in time where the children of Israel were to rest while they were on the journey. And the the, the presence of God, that pillar of cloud, it would hover over the tabernacle. So it wasn't Again, God was not bound to the tabernacle. God was not bound to uh, the Ark of the Covenant. He did not necessarily stay in uh, the tabernacle as well. He did, God does not, again, need a house, uh, and he doesn't need a, a mobile home, uh, if you will, uh, as well. And that's what he's expressing here to David. I, what God is 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 saying to David, I don't believe that God was upset with David, but what God is doing here is he's offering correction. He's offering rebuke to David. This is something I've spoken of uh, as well in Sunday school lessons recently, um, but he's teaching David. OK, uh, he says there in the seventh verse, he says, whenever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God is essentially saying, I have never wanted a house. I have never instructed anyone uh, to build me a house. Because again, again, if you put your, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago earlier, if you put yourself in, in David's place, David, he was in a nice house. He was in a nice home. In his thoughts, he was going, oh, man, the Lord, I mean, he's the God has given me this place, but he's in a tabernacle. He's in a tent is is how David was thinking. But what David, what, what God is expressing to David is I'm not where you think I am. I'm beyond that tabernacle. And, and what we see him now expressing here in the seventh verse, I have never instructed anybody uh, to to build me a house because I don't need one is essentially what we see God saying there. I've never, I haven't instructed any of those that shepherded my people uh, to build me a, a house made of cedar, made of, of wood, made of trees. I've never, I've never instructed anyone to do that because again, God didn't need anyone to build him a house. He says here in eight verse, again, God is still speaking these words to Nathan. So this was not only something for, for David to understand. This was also something for Nathan to understand because again, Nathan had given David uh, the blessing to go and build a house uh, uh, for, for the Lord there. We're told here in eight verses says, now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold 
from following the sheep to be ruler over my people over Israel. So God essentially is saying to David here, what he's going to say to David through Nathan here is that I've given you this command. I've given you this charge. What was that command? What was that charge that the Lord had gave to David? Well, God had given to David uh, the charge of being a ruler over the children of Israel, not to build him a house. Okay. That's essentially what God had commanded David to do. Okay. Uh, the ninth verse goes on to say there, it says, and I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on earth. So again, God said, hey, I've been with you this whole time. The 10th verse says, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. So God begins to speak of a place that he is going to plant the, the children of Israel, that they may dwell on their own and they will have to move no more. And in this place, God says that the sons of wickedness will no longer oppress them. What is this place that God is speaking of to where the children of Israel are going to be planted and they will have to move no more and the sons of wickedness will no longer be able to oppress them? What is that place that, that God is speaking of? Let's take that 11 verse as well. The 11 verse says, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. OK, so the 10th and the 11th verse combine into one thought. The 10th verse. Again, it says there, it says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. Now, what is that place? Is, is God speaking about the promised land there? He's speaking about a promised land, but he's not speaking about the promised land that we have to remember. David is already dwelling in it. David and the children of Israel, we have to remember, they're already dwelling in the promised land that had been promised to Abraham, that had been promised to Isaac, that had been promised to Jacob. God had delivered the children of Israel there through Joshua. So David is already residing in that land of promise. So this land of promise that, that the Lord is speaking of here uh, in the 10th verse that, that God is talking about appointing here is another promised land. But I want you to understand that it is a promised land that is not of this world. God is now speaking of eternity, a land of promise that has been promised to all of us as well. God is speaking of heaven now. Okay. He said in this place that he's going to plant the children of Israel, they will no longer have to move. They will, they will move no more. If you think about it, the children of Israel, even though they were dwelling in the promised land at that point in time with David, they ended up being moved back and forth throughout that land and from that land. When the Babylonians conquered the, the children of Israel, they were taken away to Babylon and then they eventually returned. Some were, were taken away that some moved over uh, back into the land of Egypt. They moved away. They eventually came back uh, again. Uh, they 
were scattered. And we would say that uh, some scattered throughout the world today, which is essentially, essentially what is spoken of uh, in the book of Revelation in New Testament scripture. The Lord speaking of heaven, okay, to, to David here in heaven, thieves and robbers and those of wickedness, they can no longer enter in to scatter those that belong to the Lord. Okay, so that's how we know we, we we again know that in heaven, heaven is not going to be a temporary home. Heaven is going to be a eternal home. So it's going to be permanent. The true definition of permanent. Okay, we're going nowhere once we get to heaven. So that's how, again, we know that the Lord is not speaking of a place that is on this world. That's how we know that he's not talking about uh, the promised land that he spoke of to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. He says, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. And then the bigger hint that this place is the eternal home, the place of heaven, is the fact that the sons of wickedness will oppress them no more. OK, there will be no wickedness in heaven. OK, so again, there. And just to end off that 10th verse, it says uh, there in the 10th verse that he will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. So, yeah, there's in this place that I'm going to plant uh, the, the children of Israel. They are going to move no more. Wickedness is not going to come upon them anymore. Then there is one more premise here that we see in the 11th verse. And this is the premise of Christ here. Uh, he says, also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. So God says to David here, you wanted to make me a house? No, you're not going to make me a house, but I am going to make you a house. And the house that I want you to, I want you to understand here uh, that the Lord is speaking of is not a, a, a physical house that is of this world. We know that's the case because David is already in a house that God has given to him. So he's not talking about a physical house. They, the Lord had been speaking of, again, an eternal house, an eternal home uh, for the children of Israel. So if he was talking about an eternal home for the children of Israel in the 10th verse, in the 11th verse, he's talking about an eternal home for David as well in the 11th verse. So we'll see here in the 12th verse, it says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So again, the Lord is speaking of, he's starting to speak about the house of David here. Uh, which was mentioned there at the end of the 11th verse. Okay. So when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, he's talking about uh, when David has died and passed on, he says there to David, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So essentially uh, we can see where God is starting to speak of, of Solomon there. Uh, the 13th verse says, he shall build a house for my name. We know that Solomon would be the one that go that went on to to build the temple. Now, again, what I want you to understand is that 
uh, even though we speak, uh, we see the Lord speak of a house being built uh, for his name. God was not talking about a house for him to dwell in. OK, the 13 verses speaking of, he says there that it would be a house for his name. He's talking about uh, the temple there, a place where, again, um, it would be essentially like the tabernacle, but the tabernacle was a mobile place. The temple would, would not be mobile. So in the temple would have a, a most holy place like the tabernacle did. Right. Uh, the temple would be a place to to where the people would gather. And again, as we saw in our Sunday school lesson last week, it would be a place to where people could come and to where they could worship and, and pray uh, to the Lord uh, as well. So Solomon, we know, built the house. He built the temple. Uh, a temple that actually, again, was destroyed by the Babylonians, but it was then rebuilt during the days of Ezra and uh, Nehemiah. So the 13th verse again says uh, the one that would come from David's own body through his seed uh, would build a house for for God's name. And there in the 13th verse, uh, he says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So. Now we're starting to get to Christ. OK, in, in the 12th verse, I said that uh, the kingdom, OK, that, that came after David, that came through David's body, uh, it would be established. And we're told here in the 13th verse that it would be established forever. Would it be established forever through Solomon? Not necessarily. No, it would be established forever through David. OK, but it would be established by Jesus himself. So again, we're, we're, we have the birth of the Messiah. We have Christ in, in sight here. Okay. Uh, this is a messianic prophecy, if you will, that is being spoken of here by the Lord himself. This is foretelling of, of Christ. Okay. So he said there in the 13th verse, he shall build a house for my name, which again speaks to Solomon, but at the same time, it also speaks of Christ as well. Uh, because again, we know that Christ, when he entered into this world, uh, he came to do the father's will. Okay. To make God known to the world. And again, there in the 13th verse, it says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jesus is king of kings and he reigns forever. Okay. Uh, when he comes back to this world on his second coming, he's going to set up his kingdom. OK, where he's going to re, uh, in, on this world. OK, he's going to reign for a thousand years. He's going to reign for what we call the millennial kingdom. But again, eternity. OK, that place that is coming after this time, Jesus is going to reign and he's going to reign forever and ever. So that's that's what the Lord is speaking to here. Uh, the 14th verse lets us know specifically that Christ is in mind. That is who God is speaking of. The 14th verse says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. Jesus is the only begotten son of God. The 14th verse, it continue on and it says there, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Now, that verse there. It reads, you know, if you just happen to read this and, and you do no studying there, you could walk away from that 14 verse with the thought and the idea that Christ had the ability to commit iniquity, that he had the ability to sin. But that's not actually what's being said there in the 14 verse. OK, 
we know that Christ was divine, that Christ is holy, that he was perfect, that he did not sin. So the if he commits iniquity there, that puts us actually in mind, not necessarily of the birth of Christ, but it puts me in mind of the cross. Now, why does it put me in the mind of the cross? It puts me in the mind of the cross because it puts me in the mind of the suffering servant, which is spoken of in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. So if you go over to the book of Isaiah and you read the 53rd chapter, you will read the suffering of the only begotten son of God. The suffering servant is what you will read about. If he commits iniquity, Jesus did not commit iniquity, but he became it. Jesus became iniquity. He became sin. When he became our propitiation, when he became our atonement offering, you you recall from the Sunday school lesson that we just had a few weeks ago uh, to where we were talking about the atonement offering. We were talking about the scapegoat. That is what Jesus became for the world. He became our scapegoat offering, if you will. He became our propitiation. He became our atonement offering where all of the sins of the world, all the sins of mankind those who were present at that time, those who lived before that time, and those who lived after that time. All of our sins were laid on Christ. He became sin. And and in his suffering, Jesus, he was beat all night, is what we sing in that hymn, that song. We sing about how he was whipped all night long. Uh, he was chastened um, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. That's what we're told in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. So we were told that he uh, that if he commits iniquity, essentially saying when he becomes sin, he will uh, be chastened. He said he will be chastened with the rod of men and the blows of the sons of men. Jesus, uh, when when the Jews arrested Jesus, they beat him. Uh, he he was carried uh, from judgment to judgment. And when Jesus didn't answer the way that he that the Jews desired for him to answer, he was beaten. OK. So that that verse again, we, again, we have in sight here. Yes, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Christ. But again, what what's really in mind here, OK, is the establishing of the fact that Christ would be king, not just temporarily, but he would be king of the entire world. For ever and ever, eternally. OK, that's what's. That's what's being established here. That is uh, what is being promised here to David. We're told here, okay, uh, in the 15th verse, it says, But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Saul, Saul's house was supposed to be established forever and ever. But Saul, in his great sin, he lost that. He lost that blessing because uh, that that profane offering that he that he made before the Lord. He couldn't simply uh, wait on Samuel. He lost his blessing and it was moved over to David. Uh, David received the, the great blessing of, of essentially having his house established forever and ever. OK, yes, Sol Solomon would come behind David and he would build the temple. But it was Jesus who was born many generations after David. Uh, who would establish the throne forever and ever. Okay. Uh, mercy, the Lord said there in the 15th verse, it, 
uh, it shall not depart from him. Uh, oftentimes we speak about while Jesus is on the cross where uh, Jesus speaks about how the Lord, he said, why have you forsaken me? Uh, God, when, when Jesus said became sin, we could say that the Lord turned from him, but God did not forget him. Just like you and I, when, when we were sinners, uh, the Lord, we may have been separated from God by our sins, but God had not taken his eyes off of us. There are many sinners living in the world today. In fact, all sinners living in the world today, they are separated from God because of their sins. Yet God still leaves the door open to them uh, to find mercy and to find his forgiveness so that they can have salvation over this world so that they can have salvation over their sins. OK, uh, so Jesus, God's mercy, it never left him. As we know, he was risen up with all authority in his hands after he died. God's mercy, it never departed from him. Okay. All right. So we're told here in the 16th verse, it says, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And again, we know that it was established forever through the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. All authority was given to Christ, and he still, as we were seeing on Resurrection Sunday, he lives. He still lives today. Uh, he lives, and he stands at the right hand of God. That's what Stephen said when he was martyred, when he was stoned to death. Stephen said he looked up, and he saw that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. So Jesus he still reigns today and he's going to reign forevermore. And one day when you and I are in heaven, we're going to be singing praises. We're going to be worshiping. We're going to be praising the Lord. We're going to be there with Jesus living under his reign forever and ever. So that is our Sunday school lesson uh, for this week. What can we take away from our lesson this week? What I believe that we can take away from our lesson this week is that we must keep our grand desires in check. David had a grand desire, uh, but David, the Lord had to rebuke him. The Lord had to offer him correction. Uh, God essentially had to, to put his grand desires, had to put David's grand desires in check. That's something that uh, that has to happen for us today as well. A lot of us, we have grand desires, but again, God has his will. OK, and we as believers, we must abide by the will of God. It also reminds me of Paul as well to where Paul, he had his own grand desires. He was a good servant, mighty servant of God. We know. But Paul, he had the grand desire of where he wanted to go to Rome. He badly wanted to go to Rome. Uh, he wanted to go to Rome at his time. And he often found the path to Rome blocked. It was blocked because God had a time that he wanted for Paul to go to Rome. Paul, he eventually did get to Rome, but it was according to the Lord's will, according to God's time. So the biggest takeaway that we can take away from this lesson today is to trust in the Lord's timing. That's something that we saw in our Sunday school lesson last week with Zacharias as well. We must not give up hope. That's what we saw in our Sunday school lesson last week. And here in our lesson this week, 
we must let go of our own will and our way. We must submit ourselves to the will and to the way of God. We must be obedient to his instructions. That's what we saw all last quarter, in fact. We must, again, let go of our grand desires, trust in the grand desires of God. And when we are obedient to the Lord's grand desires, okay, when we wait on him, we are going to be blessed. And we're not going to be blessed just in this world. We are going to be blessed eternally. Okay. All right. So that's what we can take away from our lesson today. And again, we know the other thing that we can take away from our lesson is that Christ was certainly being promised, that Christ was on his way, and that he would establish the throne of David, that he would do so eternally, forever. Okay. All right, so that is our Sunday School lesson for this week. I certainly hope that you enjoyed this week's lesson, and I hope that you'll share this lesson with somewhere, some, with someone somewhere. And I hope that you'll come back for our Sunday School lesson next week. Again, we are making our way towards Christmas. We are getting ready. There's going to be a promise. There's going to be an announcement made to Mary about Christ. And I hope that you'll come back for our Sunday School lesson next week so that we can learn about it, all right? Until that time, let us again continue to keep one another lifted up in prayer. You never know what anyone is going through, so keep others lifted up in prayer, those you know, those that you do not know, okay? And then again, let us continue about in grace and in love. That is our calling as a child of God, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So until that time, I'll continue to keep all you lifted up in my prayers, and I pray that the Lord continues to keep and to bless all of you.